I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Fantastic. Fantastic. How are you today, Robbie McDonald? I am hanging in there, all things considered. I had 11 hours of sleep last night, so wow. I, feel like I feel like I won the lottery, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's always like that, right? It's like, no sleep, no sleep. Oh, I'm just going to sleep forever. And then, yeah, it feels really good. Um, but there's, yeah, I will tell you more in a minute. How about you? <laughs> wait, 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 what do you mean you'll tell me more in a minute? Tell me now. No, I'm just still collecting my rage after um, a wood chipper has been stationed outside my front window for the last half an hour. I woke up feeling so great, like, oh, my God, I had a good night's sleep. And the dog was like, let's go outside now. So then I felt kind of late already. Um, And the next door neighbor's dog was outside and they usually play. And there was this thing. And then I was like, "Okay, I'm going to get ready for the podcast. And I got my mic set up, but then it wasn't working and it kept falling off. And then I was like... (laughs) having a moment and I'm like, okay, five minutes to 1030, which is when we were supposed to record. And then all of a sudden, ah, like I look outside and a tree that doesn't even appear to be sick is getting cut down by the city of Vancouver and they're using a wood chipper. And anybody mm-hmm. who's ever heard a wood chipper knows they're really friggin' loud. Sure. So that's been the last half an hour of my um, day and uh, the grander scheme of things, whatever. But like, the, Jesus, it's irritating. I can feel <laughs> it in my body because I have my headphones on. So sure. it was amplified in my ears, like when it first started. And I was like, am I losing my marbles? Like, why is that so loud? And I look outside right. and I was like, there it is. <laughs> there they are. Anyway, they're gone now. And peace has descended once again onto uh, <laughs> Avenue in Vancouver. <laughs> Great to see. Uh, don't dox yourself like that. I'm actually going to bleep that. Oh, um, <laughs> yes. I shouldn't say that. Sorry. Uh, we'll just no. say. Hey, don't apologize to me. <laughs> I do that all the time. We'll just say, uh, yeah, once again, it's quiet and we won't say peace. Because, because when you when you told, <laughs> I'm just going to say, when you told the story about uh, getting hit in the Uber that day, I believe you named the other cross street during that anecdote. So we got to keep at least one of them secret. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's me like oversharing and using bad language too. It's just like, yeah, we'll just say uh, the quiet has returned to East Vancouver. And now hang hang on a second. I want to go back for something second. What what was the bad language thing? Bad language is not something that I think either of us have a problem with. Oh, no, no. I just I think just considering um, global events right now and the the stress and anxiety I used, um, peace has returned, which is kind of uh, like fucking stupid to say something like that right now. I could say that quiet has returned, but like that's well, yeah. but but you still said uh, to your neighborhood. I don't. Yeah, I, I think that you can't. Mm. I mean, we all got to do what we can, and it is important to like you know uh, uh, make sure you're not um, you know 
I don't know, uh, uh, advocating genocide in some way. But uh, I think that it's okay to still use phrases like that. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, don't, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't think that's where people's concerns are at this moment. I think they have other mm, things to worry about. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And I, I remind myself of that too. Like nobody's waiting with bated breath for a statement from me. Nobody, yes. you know what I mean? Like I do have my own perspective on things, um, but I, it's not valid or important in the like the, it's valid. It's just that it's not needed in the big yes. conversation that's happening right now. And I'm mindful of that. And I, yeah, I agree with you doing what I can making donations and, um, spreading what little awareness I can. Um, but yeah, I think that's just like, that's partly me just, um, being nervous about fucking up, which is just how I live most <laughs> of my life anyway. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that the two kind of tie into the other, right? Because, um, I think if you if you really accept that you don't need to weigh in on everything, then mm. you can give yourself the leeway to worry a lot less about policing your own language, too, because truly, if no one is looking to you for a statement, then they're not also actively policing what you are saying to look mm. for some way that you could be interpreted in a fucked up way or whatever. Like nobody yeah. no, no, for better and worse. Nobody gives a shit about what you and I think about things. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I I have this sort of, I do have a personal connection to it all. And I worked through sure. some of that with a longtime friend last night on the phone, which was really great. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I made my little Instagram statement about how my mind has changed about things. And I think that that's something mm. that I think more and more folks are coming to right now is an understanding of like, this is not, nothing justifies what's happening. There is no excuse right. for any of it. Right. So um, I, I'm heartened to see people kind of softening and returning to what we were talking about last night is like our shared humanity. Like you, you just like, I'm, I'm just always coming back to that. Um, and right. like, I think that is where the softening happens. And that's when people realize like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like I can't not in my name. Right. That we're hearing yeah. a lot of that. Like, so I think it's really um, vital that we come back to that and social media divides us so neatly into these little silos, right. Of thinking a certain way. And, um, that's just not how the world actually is. And like people that, um, you would think would be a certain way can be some of the most compassionate, kind people, especially in crisis. Like I think that, mm. um, Moa Mayer was talking about that in Houston, like how people support each other and how his neighbor, the redneck is like the guy you want to have on your, like living next to you because he's got a generator and he'll look after you when the hurricane comes in. Sure. Right. You know, um, and I think that that's kind of, those are the conversations I'm trying to gravitate towards. Um, and I have been finding that LinkedIn's been awful that way because mm. everyone is just very hyper positional and, or just not saying anything. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually uh, taking a, a workshop this week with a, a woman who works in anti-oppressive um, messaging and copywriting, and she's worked with some mm. of the biggest names on the planet, really. Um, and she's just, I've just discovered her, but she's a total badass. And she's like, we need to talk about how we are showing up online right now. Like, because mm. um, when people are just reacting and it's pretty clear to me what, where the position of folks at LinkedIn is up at the top when I look at the <laughs> the right sidebar and how they're positioning the whole situation. I'm like, okay, so 
pretty sure I know where they stand. Um, but then that means that people are afraid to say what they're thinking in terms of like an anti-oppressive, anti-genocide framework because they're nervous that their boss is going to react. And we're already seeing it happening in Hollywood. Like big Hollywood sure. agents are like getting um, fired from their jobs for what they're saying. So it's really um, interesting how... Um, how a lot of people are actually getting canceled in silence and it's not the ones that are always screaming about cancel culture. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't mean to kind of go there so like immediately with you in this conversation, but of course it's on a lot of people's minds. So sure. um, Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I won't dox myself. Try not to do (laughs) that. Let's let's, let's keep ourselves safe how we can. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Anyway, how are you doing? Did you cut your hair or is it tied back? No, I shaved. (laughs) Ah, there it is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I didn't shave for probably close to three weeks. Uh, Partly, again, just taking another run, seeing if it'll grow in a little less patchy and shitty this time. It didn't, so I shaved it off. Um, Mm. I also had an in-person job interview was the real reason I decided to uh, shave it off. Uh, But it was not, it was not the in-person job interview that you might think it was, which would be with that design firm that I mentioned uh, recruited me. Um, Mm. So yeah, uh, I ended up uh, having to follow up on my end and say like, hey, I still haven't heard from anybody from the Calgary office. Like, am I still in consideration for this role? And uh, apparently they filled the role and, yeah, and didn't feel that it was worth reaching out to me to let me know that they'd filled it. And so, yeah, I I got together with uh, uh, our mutual friend Jen B yesterday Mm. and Mm -hmm. she and I were talking about it. And, yeah, the whole the whole thing was very hot and cold. It felt Mm. like it felt like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It felt like I was being negged or something like like these fucking pickup artist techniques that they talk about, you know, like, oh, you got to like you got to show that you're interested in this person. But then if they seem interested back, then you like give them the cold shoulder or whatever, and like make them uh, want you more or something like that. And Weird. yeah, it was just very it was very hot and cold. And yeah, I couldn't get a proper bead on whether uh, they actually wanted me or not. But then. Yeah, it's it just very bizarre to spend your time uh, getting in touch with me, like like obviously going out of their way to look for people that have a certain skill set and whatever, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, and then just not feel that it's worth getting back to me and saying like, hey, you this, you know, we filled the role. Just, just bizarre. So that was frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, but then I did do uh, an in-person interview the other day, as I mentioned, um, and that, that was interesting. Uh, so that was actually with a lingerie company. Mm-hmm. And uh, the woman who runs it was uh, initially looking for uh, female salespeople for obvious reasons. But, you know, sales are sales. And basically it's just about uh, building trust with people and being like oh, an open, friendly and approachable person. And apparently this person's husband does sales for her as well and does very well at it. So, you know, there's it's not like... Uh, like the possibility of of uh, a male salesperson is just off the board. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do a couple of markets to start out and see how that goes. But uh, yeah, it seems uh, seems like a pretty pretty interesting uh, yeah. change of pace for me. So <laughs> I like that. I like that you're mm-hmm. um, finding something that uh, feels a little better. And um, and when I was sort of out in the job market, um, that thing like what you just described kind of happened to me a couple times too, where it was like. 
why did you reach out to me? Because you're kind of yeah. acting like you don't like me very much. And this is really confusing. Um, yeah. And it was usually organizations that I was almost kind of hesitant to um, to want to work with. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was something in me that like there, there was an impulse in me that was like, I don't like like their mission statement or something about it. And then it would always kind of go sideways because they probably sensed that I wasn't their people anyway. And I was like, oh, God, right. okay, so... Um, or people that were just, uh, you know, all check boxes, but no actual work. Um, so in those kinds of situations, I don't know how good it feels to hear this, but you probably did kind of dodge something that would have been not very enjoyable for you. Um, well, no. Uh, and, and like I said, there were other there was the red flag of the accessibility piece. And, uh, you know, you and I both know uh, probably a half dozen people, at least maybe a dozen that have worked for this company over the years. And mm. each of them has been less than three years and usually leaving under what I would refer to as tearful circumstances. Mm -hmm. So again, maybe, maybe it does feel like a degree, like I dodged a bullet, but again, uh, fucking dental coverage would mean the world to me right now. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. It's like when you're looking for a job too, it's like, yeah, I could have just taken it and dealt with it for a couple of years if they had just given me the opportunity. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's, like probably would have caused more harm. Yeah. You probably end up spending all your benefits on counseling anyway, right? <laughs> Which is what ended up happening with me in a well, place but, that I shouldn't but, have been. But, but the, the whole thing is, is that I'm, I'm still going on a regular basis, but I'm just paying out of pocket for it now. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. You're not getting harmed at work, but then you're also having to pay for the harm that you already, like, I know. Well, it's I'm, so, I'm, I'm, like, I'm getting harmed by the lack of work. I feel like at this yeah. point, cause there's just, you know, there's all these other stresses that come along from, from not having enough money. And that's, that's the biggest, the biggest source of stress for me right now. So, yeah. I feel uh, but yeah, like, like generally I'm doing pretty good though. I would say, um, again, that was, that was a frustrating thing to deal with. Uh, and of course the job search end of things is never fun, but, mm. um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh there's been some, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I just feel positive about, about some other things that are going on right now. So, um, yeah, I had mm. my, uh, my last seniors improv class. We wrapped that up for this, uh, particular go around, which was a lot of fun. I love teaching that group. Mm. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, just kind of like, uh, getting, getting, I guess, back into the winter groove of things and, and kind mm. of figuring out what, uh, yeah, what the next little bit of the season looks like for me. Yeah. I, I, I have um, the friend that I was talking to last night is in Calgary and she was saying that winter has arrived as, as, has it ever Yeah, there's snow right now. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That's yeah. We're feeling cold here too, but we won't, I mean, we'll get snow, but we won't get minus 20 like you guys do. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I feel that kind of like that real urge to just kind of hunker down and burrow under a blanket with root vegetables and just, yeah, <laughs> I don't really want to do a whole lot right now. And I think, sure. Maybe that's why my body is like, okay, shut down. Like this is kind of the season for rest and um, chilling as much as possible. Um, I definitely feel you on the financial front. I had a rough week that way last week. I thought mm. um, I had applied for um, like some low interest funding to help me with some marketing and a new laptop and stuff like that. And it was approved, but then just nothing happened. Like, and I oh. was like, okay, what's going on? And I had a panic attack because I literally set up a business account for those funds. I'm trying to separate things and get more diligent about that stuff. Um, and then I hadn't heard anything. And I was like, what, like, what's happening? Am I being like, I panicked. Um, and I was sending texts and messages. And then of course, you know, it's Friday afternoon and um, their head office is in Toronto. They have an office here, but anyway, so uh, he did finally get back to me and he was like, I'm so sorry. We are just slammed. 
Like mm. we have never been this busy. Everybody through the organization right now is just completely overwhelmed. And wow. um, so we're going to have a, a check in later today. But it was just like I was having that like, oh, my God, I have said that I would do this thing and I need to do this thing. And I've been reaching out to people to try and I don't have the funds. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and then another invoice that I sent out that I thought would pay last week is actually going to pay two weeks later. So when that mm, happens, mm. it's just like everything yeah. just gets so scary because it's like, oh, shit, I spent money thinking that this was going to be. And now I'm like playing this little game of like, oh, sorry, you got to wait and you, you got to wait. And like, it doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. But I'm also like, I know that. Uh, things that will be getting busier in October and November and then, you know, be slow over Christmas. It'll pick up again. But it's just like that feeling of like, oh, God, like, I don't like that. Um, and yeah. that that has been layered, of course, on top of the, the the visceral stress of what, you know, was happening in the Middle East. And like, um, and then, of course, I got a UTI, which led to a oh, kidney no. infection. So on Saturday morning, I spent a couple hours at urgent care and was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> I mean, oh I kind of knew. I'm so sorry, Robbie. It's okay. I kind of knew something was wrong. Um, and I was trying to kind of like push it until maybe I could see my family doctor, but I couldn't get in to see her right away. Um, and it's just one of these things that um, I think when I get really stressed, my body just like is just more prone to things like that. And, you know, being a woman of a certain age, I guess it's just part of the deal. Um, sure. But, um, yeah, I'm glad that I could access that care and um, that I am getting treated for it. And hopefully things will resolve and I'll feel better. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot. And it's a lot of people. I think that this was what we were going to chat a bit about today is, like, the stories we're telling ourselves about what's going on with other people based on... Mm. Of course, the sizzle reel that everybody puts out on social media, right? So I don't know if you remember a while ago, I said I was grieving the loss of a friendship. Like I, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. And um, b based on what's been happening uh, lately, we started messaging each other on Instagram, talking about how we were both feeling about it. And then we were like, we haven't talked in a long time. And so we got on the phone last night, we started talking. <laughs> she was never mad at me. She was never not my friend. She thought, oh, you know, she's married and busy now. She doesn't want to talk to me. And it was just very interesting that um, I told myself that this person just didn't have room in their life for me anymore or that they thought I was, like, not of their class or that they thought that I wasn't sufficient to be their friend or whatever. And none of that was true. <laughs> and... um I think, like, especially in the last few years, like, a lot of people have had to kind of go inside. Like, I think mm -hmm. um, people aren't as maybe as social as they used to be or as proactive or outgoing. And this is somebody I've known since my 20s of always being a very active, outgoing, social person. But what mm -hmm. really shifted for her in the pandemic is that she needed that time alone. She needed to be at home. She needed to do things to take care of herself. Um, she works in a very front facing uh, social worker role. So that's a lot for her to hold. And she just needed to just be by herself is essentially what was happening with very limited outside contact. Um, so we were talking about it last night and I was like, Oh, here I was all this time thinking you were mad, thinking you didn't care, thinking you didn't want to be my friend anymore. And all it was is that you were just completely emotionally overwhelmed and shut down. Um, and, and, 
it's interesting to me on the heels of you and I having this conversation yeah. that we shared um, with our patrons about like me thinking you didn't want to do the podcast anymore because you were being like cool, groovy, improv musician guy in Calgary and you thinking, well, Robbie hates me or whatever, like doesn't want to talk well, to no. me. Again, what, what did you the, think? The, See again. This, 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 is, this is you, you ascribing stuff to me that just wasn't there right. uh yeah so so okay I'm, I'm gonna yeah i i know that you know this i know that you know this because this has now happened twice in a row close close to each other but what i want you to do i want you to tell me what you've learned <laughs> i have learned that my stories the stories that i fabricate in my mind about people are most often untrue and again, coming back to like how I see people on social media, not that I see that much on social media, but just in general, like what I think about people is usually not true. And I think some of it is actually trauma and some of it is ADHD and just the way my brain works. Sure. Like uh, the rejection sensitive dysphoria, I haven't heard from somebody. Of course, they hate me. They were not friends anymore. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. And I have, as well as pointed this out a lot in my life, I come up with a story and then I believe it so quickly before reaching out and asking. Right. right. Um, so so that, that last part was going to be where I'm steering this to. What, what is going to be your first course of action the next time you wonder if someone is mad at you? Um, you you're, you're not going to stew on it for months, right? You're going to email or text the person and say, hey, we haven't talked for a bit. Let's chat. Right. That's yes, what's going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> It actually, and there's a third element to this. It happened in a professional context where I oh, started no. thinking this person has just like lost confidence in my abilities. Mm. And I ended up reaching out to her in a very vulnerable way. And because I let it get to the point where I didn't, I should have checked in before, like, and I didn't. And then I let it escalate over the course of a month. And then I was like literally in tears writing the email. And then she got back and she was like, no, none of this is what's happening. Like, we're just overwhelmed and things are coming next month, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's partly like the fact that I haven't been in community enough and I haven't been around people mm. enough. I have been isolating, as Valdo has pointed that out to me. And when that happens, that's when I start to come up with stories that are not true. Like what happened with you, what happened with my friend, what happened with the client, and yes, you're absolutely right. What I need to be doing in those situations is reaching out to people and saying, hey, <laughs> I know you're busy or I know you're overwhelmed. just want to check in. And I have not been doing that this year. And I think it's something I used to do. And then it stopped because I wanted to be, um, I didn't want to be the needy friend. I didn't want to be the insufficient friend. I didn't want to be the friend who was always feeling insecure. Right. Um, and and as a result of that, like, I think that that has like frayed things, but now like things are open again. Right. Which I am grateful right. for, um, because I, I did eventually say, Hey, like, um, and I'm, you know, and I know that the way that I had phrased that text message with you, you're like, what the fuck? Um, because I was in a defensive point, like I was like, okay, nobody likes me. So I'm just going to like shut down and like be by myself. Right. It's, it's, it's not mature behavior, but I think it's more just about, um, yeah, I think it is an RSD thing and also like, you know, childhood trauma, work trauma, layers and layers of it. Right. So mm -hmm. got to undo that stuff and question it. Now you're yeah. absolutely right. Question it and reach out instead of like, 
um, letting the narrative take over. Yeah, and, and and again, I'm not I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm not trying to beat you up. The only reason I want to emphasize that is because it did feel so unilateral getting that message from you, and that's where mm-hmm. you know, like it it. I don't know. I, I I don't know if it's a reassurance to hear this or not, but it is all in our heads, like both of us with this stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, like it it it's hard to hear that sometimes because it. It can be hard to hear that and have it not feel like a personal flaw or a shortcoming in some way or like, you know, mm-hmm. like like uh, a, a sabotaging thing or whatnot. But, you know, like like when people are triggered or feeling defensive or whatever, you get into these totally automated patterns of behavior that you're not even conscious of. You're going down, you feel threatened, you get into the lizard part of your brain that is just running on on 40,000 years of fucking instinct. And it's hard to get the rational part of your brain to override that and say, well, no, hang on. I'm not, I'm not a lizard running from a predator anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I have other tools at this point to like, like the lizard can't turn around and say like, Hey, are you, are you just like, are we both just happen to be running through this forest at the <laughs> same time? Or are you like actually mm-hmm. trying to eat me right now? Like the lizard doesn't have that tool. Fortunately we do, but getting getting your fears confirmed like if you were to say uh uh, hey are you like mad at me and your friend texted you back and was like yeah i'm pissed at you because of this thing you did that that i feel like you feel like would feel worse than this ambiguity because at least with the ambiguity Mm. what you still have is control you have you have the control over the situation. You have control over how you're interpreting these events and you have control over like, oh, well, I'm going to end this working relationship, this friendship, whatever with this person, uh, because I'm scared of of how I might feel in this one situation. Uh, I'm also know that I'm going to feel bad in this other situation where I'm taking the initiative. But in that latter case, I'm in control of the whole thing. And that Mm. that, again, maybe feels like like uh, a a positive thing or like, again, maybe just just to have that little bit of of control in in what seems like a fucking crazy, chaotic world. Um, And and yeah, and that it's maybe almost better to have a negative outcome, but a certain negative outcome and a negative outcome that you are Mm. controlling and you are the master of and you are the initiator of in some ways than to have something that it may work out well, it may not work out well, but you don't know that and you're not ultimately the person who controls, quote unquote, how it turns out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about all that. And it's funny because Voldo and I were talking about this the other day, just something in another situation that somebody who is behaving in a very controlling way. And I was mm. like, well, th- I said, like, that's because they don't feel like they have agency elsewhere. So they're putting it all here. Right. right? Like, and, and here we are living in the world that we're living in where there's so much out of our control and so much trauma and chaos. And, and so we're trying to exert these little paths of, of control where we can. And I think the, you just kind of nailed it with with the way that I had messaged about the podcast because I was just like, well, you know, if you don't want to, I don't want to either. Like I was basically kind of being a toddler. But the way that it came across was like, well, let's just like throw in the towel. We're done with the podcast. But like 
that isn't even what I wanted, but I was, you're right, I was trying to exert some some control over a conversation before having the conversation that I actually wanted to have. Um, and I think that that's something that, that, that was a big learning path for me too. It's like, oh, here I was thinking this thing, but rather than just ask about it, I decided to just kind of like put up that big uh, wall. And, right. um, and I was so glad that you were able to have the vulnerable conversation with me about it instead of um, shutting me out, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important right now. Well, um, yeah, you know, going going back to what you were saying about uh, uh, not wanting to feel like a needy friend or whatever, like mm. uh, that, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, like, like needing things is part of the nature of friendship, but the people who are really your friends aren't going to see it as neediness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're that, 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 that's something where it feels like you're worried about ingratiating yourself to a person that you don't necessarily know very well. And, and you're kind of, you know, it, it it's like, <laughs> like, like if you start dating someone or whatever and everybody's like, okay, who's going to be the first one to fart in front of the other? You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to like keep, keep these aspects of yourself to yourself, uh, uh, to like not turn off other people or whatever but the, the the people who who are turned off by those aspects of you are never going to be the people that you should be approaching for help in the first place because they're never going to be the ones that actually help you out so you know it's just kind mm -hmm. of like i i guess it's one of these things where it's like is there really even such a thing as a needy friend or is a friend definitionally someone that you accept mm -hmm. you know what i mean yes absolutely and so funny in relationships, I was the first tutor, just so you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> it was a walk toot, And I was like, oh my God. But the fact that we laughed about it, I was like, okay, you can laugh sure. about these things. He's a cool dude. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, and yes. So I think that that's absolutely true as well. Like that, um, that if somebody is not going to be able to hold that kind of vulnerability, then they're not in a good position, right. To be, to be, um, showing up. And sometimes that's because people are too traumatized themselves, right? And they just can't hold other people's stuff. And I think that, the, mm -hmm. yeah, I think what you're saying is so valid because I, I maybe, and that's something that my friend and I talked about last night, like even after decades of friendship, like why would I think that they wouldn't want to hear what's really going on with me? Right. But it's right. like this, this strange thing. And I think that's why I'm kind of likening it back to my family dynamics and early childhood stuff. Cause I wasn't allowed to express those things. I wasn't, um, I wasn't free to really be who I was. So it was, I was framed as selfish or, you know, um, when I wanted those kinds of things. So now even at this like tender age of 55, almost 56, I'm like still having that kind of thing with myself. Where it's like, well, I have to retreat. I have to hide. I can't be seen as vulnerable. I've got to like shut everybody out and just like, it's me against the world. And I'm, you know, no one's going to help me, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it is, has actually been a really big lesson for me this month about that. And yeah, I am grateful for that, that I'm like, and I talk about this all the time, like with how much life I have left, like, why do I want to be squandering it feeling shitty, mm. you know, and alone? Like I don't, I want to be alive more. I want to be with the community. I want to be with my friends, you know, not, not feeling like. I can do it, you know, bootstrap and, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, like as my lip is trembling. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thank you for pointing all that out, Jordan. I, I appreciate it. No, you. yeah. I, I just like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of these things where like, yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't necessarily feel right trying to like uh, 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 correct other people's behavior if that's how you want to interpret it. Because, you know, so many of my own behaviors uh, could use a good correcting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just I just given given the proximity of how close these two happen to each other, I just if you hadn't come to that conclusion yet, I feel like I needed to at least at least point you at those flashing lights. Mm. You know, there was three, right? Because there was like a oh, right. there too. It was like Right. Yes. It was like a trifecta of Robbie, like <laughs> believing the narrative instead of like doing what I know in my heart would have made a better right. uh, outcome. And eventually the outcomes did happen. Right. But um, especially with this long term friend of mine, like, why would I think that about, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where, like, where did that all come from? Um, and I, I understand now that uh, there could be some trauma stuff that I need to unpack in a counseling context. It's just, I got to come up with the funds for that and find that it's hard to find a counselor that can work in that way. Um, that isn't trying to just kind of work with the present. Um, mm. I need to find somebody who's willing to unpack those things that have, they've sort of got like little sticky. I feel like they've got sticky yeah. tentacles over my behavior sometimes. And uh, because rationally, like you were saying earlier, I know I have the tools how to respond to things in a more rational way. It's just that the tentacles are Great. It meant a lizard yep. brain shutting things down. So I've got to work on that. Um, and that could be an intention that I set for myself to, to start exploring. Um, and mm-hmm. th- there is a neurofeedback has been mentioned as something that helps with that, especially for people with ADHD. I don't think we've done an episode on it, but something I've been looking into. Truthfully, I'm not sure that I know what neurofeedback is. What, what, can you explain that a little bit? I don't know. I, it's like you get these little electrodes put on your head. Um, sure, like an EEG? Yeah, um, but there's something about like a pulse that's uh, created that helps to create maybe more open neural pathways or to create n- new neural pathways hmm. to to initiate better behaviors to help uh, focus more. And that's why a lot of folks with ADHD have been turning to it. There's a, a, quite a few clinics here in Vancouver that do it. And I had hmm. looked into it, but the cost was prohibitive for me. Um I am going to go back to that, though, because apparently it's also um, has some value for people with trauma, um, because mm. I think that's like what I was just saying. It's like that I just go into the same behaviors over and over again because that's what my brain is familiar with. But what if um, my brain could, you know, is fully capable of creating new neural pathways? Like what if what if that were to happen so that I have this more spacious approach to things um, and I'm able to mm. respond from that place instead of the. The lizard place. Um, and I, I would have to kind of go back and read about it again because I wasn't planning on talking about it today, but I think it is really interesting. Um, and it's one of these things that I think when the practitioner is really skilled, they can walk you through ways to like approach things differently. Because um, mm. I find that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, doesn't work for me because I've got too much trauma. So it's not okay for it. Like it doesn't work for me to say, well, just think differently. It's like, no, <laughs> sure. <laughs> this little workbook and like whatever, like no, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I don't know if any of our listeners have ever tried it. That could be a question we could ask folks this week. Have you tried neurofeedback? Like, is it something? Because mm. um, I know it's it. Some people consider it controversial, but those that are into it are really into it. 
Um, and when it comes to the brain and the mind and the heart, there's always going to be that. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, um, I can definitely relate to a lot of what you were saying about kind of those, the stories that we tell ourselves in that arena and kind of, you know, how it affects our behavior, because I know that, um, I know that to some degree, uh, my experience from my last, uh, full-time white collar job and, uh, all of this other stuff has been a, has had an enormous impact on my ability to like seek work. Like mm. literally it's, it's, it's hard for me to get the motivation to like apply for jobs and put together cover letters and all that, put yourself out there kind of thing. Um, just cause I feel like it's a, it's a foregone conclusion that I'm not going to be hired and, you know, like I would rather just know that than deal with, you know, like, you know, honestly, something like what just happened where I feel a little bit like I kind of got strung along. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just that's just really that's tough for me. Uh, and yeah, you know, like it just kind of. um I know that so much of that, like that, that that's uh, there, there's a kernel of experience at the core of that story, but most of it is just story because, you mm. know, like not, not everyone can reject me. Someone has to fucking hire me eventually. I just need to like statistically get it out there. But like, yeah, mm. it's, it's hard to do the work to get the numbers up, uh, to try and uh, overcome that on like a statistical basis when, uh, yeah, you know, like the, the story of nobody like, you know, but basically just like, I'm, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like, I, I feel like, I feel like I've gone feral in the last three mm. years of, of not being in an office. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard for me not to, tell myself this story that like oh, I'm on the fringes of like employment society now. And so I basically <laughs> have to fucking like, you know, make my own way. And there's, there's no hope of me being brought into an org or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, a narrative that I really struggle with. Um, mm -hmm. Another one is just like, uh, you know, this, this idea that, um, Hmm. How do I phrase this? Uh, I guess I feel like, like my friends, uh, and people in my life are going to be like annoyed with me or pissed off somehow if I like promote anything I'm doing in any way and like try mm. to make a little bit of fucking money or clout for myself. Uh, you know, like even, even just down to stuff that really doesn't matter, like improv shows. I've, I've historically been like kind of reticent to, share, uh, uh, that stuff, um, and, and, and try and kind of like, Hey, you know, like I'm doing this thing and I'm proud of it and like come out and, and see my, my art, my creative work, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that, you know, there's obviously like a baseline level of stigma that improv carries with it simply because we've been the butt of everyone's jokes for 30 years now. But, um, uh, you know, like, yeah, it just, it's, it's hard for me not to, 
it, it, it not, 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 it's hard for me to accept the idea that like I'm good at what I do and people want to see it and I should be uh, uh, proud of uh, proud enough of what I'm doing to promote it. And the mm-hmm. same thing goes for my business. You know, like I know that there are people out in my life who work for organizations that would benefit from the kind of training I do. I know there's people out there in my life who want things that are on my store. Uh, but again, they just there's no way for people to engage with this stuff if I'm not giving them an opening, if I'm not even Mm -hmm. saying like, here's a thing that I'm doing that you can avail yourself of in some way, should you so please. Like that's, we we can't even get to that first stage without saying, hey, this is a thing that I'm doing. But, you know, uh, uh, Mm. somebody, somebody on my Facebook coming up and saying like, well, this is fucking stupid or whatever, you know, like that, that mm-hmm. tiny, tiny fraction of a remote possibility that would never happen in real life. That mm-hmm. is the thing that is, is keeping me from doing more of this stuff. And that's fucking absurd. It's stupid to like, I'm, I'm, I'm running away from a, a pretty mild fucking burn and B mm-hmm. an imaginary one. It's literally one that I made up myself. I'm, 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 I'm afraid of a guy that I made up who said something a little bit mean to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and that's so, uh, yeah, it is absurd. I think that's a, the right word for it, but I think like it, that those narratives are like so entrenched and yeah, all that's bullshit. And I have not actually heard of people making fun of improv for the last 30 years. Like, I don't, I actually have a lot of respect for improv. So it's kind of a surprise when you said like improv is the butt of jokes. I'm like, what kind of asshole is making jokes about improv? I think it's rad. But, you know, like that's my perspective, right? Because I think it's an awesome thing that you're doing. And I've always respected improv. So do I. Yeah. You know, um, so I think, yeah, you're absolutely right to kind of talk yourself out of that. Like people do want to go to your shows and like hang out and, you know, just be entertained by the, by the sheer joy that I think improv sure. actually has. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have all these skills, right? Like, yes. Like, and people do need to know about them, but I know that self-promotion, especially in the age of like sparkly influencers and everybody looking all fucking perfect is difficult. And that's why I'm taking this workshop on Friday about an anti-oppressive mm. framework for promoting your work because I don't want to be sleazy either. Oops, Jesus, I got to stop doing that today. I don't want to be sleazy. I don't want to be like scammy. I don't want to be like an asshole out there. And I'm also absolutely terrified of somebody saying, who the fuck do you think you are? Sure. Right. What well, gives you the the chops to be doing this right. when here's this PhD or here's this doctor, or here's this whatever. Right. But like lived experience, I don't think can ever be under underestimated. Yeah. When it comes to the kind of, you know, the accessibility stuff I want to be doing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right to, um, to start questioning that narrative and just like allow yourself to shine a little bit, you know, because that was like part of the narrative I was telling myself when I thought we didn't want to do the podcast anymore is that you were having a fucking blast over there. Right. Like just like doing improv. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But the fact is because I hadn't heard much, I thought you were too busy to be doing stuff, but um I think, yeah, you should definitely be letting people know more about what you got going on. And, um, you know, the podcast is part of that, but I I don't think we really think of this as a marketing tool. It's not. It's like we're just like sharing our stories so other people can maybe feel less isolated. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's, yeah, that's a big part of it, right? 
Well, speaking of sharing, I have something to send off to you. Uh, I'll get to, I, I may be able to put your address together fully from uh, listening to a few episodes uh, <laughs> over the course of it. But I think I still do. I, I don't think you've actually given away your house number at any point. Uh, so, yeah, I, w- I will need your address because I got something to send you. I actually tried something brand new this past weekend. I mm. made jam for the first time and it Ooh. turned out really, really well. Yeah, yeah we had uh, we had all of these these black amber plums at work that were just on the they, they were ripe enough to the point of of just about going going jelly like mm. uh so yeah so i brought them home and uh and made i think about five liters of of gym uh, plum and ginger jam yesterday mm. and then did uh did a couple liters of salted plums as well that i'll have to be processing over the next couple weeks uh but yeah so you know i did like the hot bath uh uh canning and everything i made shelf stable jam for the very very first time never done anything like that so amazing yeah. i'm gonna text mm-hmm. you my address again so that you have it because i will be all Great. over that some jam and toast it's like this is the yeah, this is like jam and toast season too i like warm breakfast things now mm-hmm. um yeah that's so awesome see yeah <laughs> cool. Yeah, and I was I was I was quite quite happy with how it turned out. It turned out really well. Uh, yeah, you know I'm a little, a little bit proud of myself. <laughs> As you should be, right? Um, mm-hmm. And shelf stable is just like yeah, you've done the thing with the the lids so they don't have any vermin in them. Is that right? Exactly. Sterilize the jars and then you fill them up with the stuff and then you tighten the lid down and then you submerge them in boiling water for another fifteen minutes so it. Uh, steam bubbles all the air the remaining air out of it and vacuum seals the lids effectively so nice yeah um hey i'm actually having a big wave of nausea right now from the antibiotics so i am kind of wondering Uh, if we could maybe um that's a great place to end i think so (laughs) yeah uh uh, well i'll I'll send you some jam along to your place hopefully that won't make you nauseous Uh, thank you listeners for joining us uh patreons uh again it's this saturday night we're getting together for a little zoom call uh and robbie's going to run so she doesn't get sick take care folks thank you is it this saturday yeah 29th shit i thought it was sunday okay okay oh sunday yeah whatever the date is yeah it is the sunday you're right the 29th okay yes um cool (laughs) i stopped recording now (laughs) if you enjoyed holy shit i have adhd subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us as does following and promoting the show on social media a full list of platforms is on our anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit i have adhd while you're there why not leave us a voicemail you can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own adhd experiences with us at you guessed it holy shit i have adhd at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes bye for now and hyper focus on the positive